0: My name is Summer. And my name is Nicole. And we are financial advisors. This is the He's Gone, But the Money's Not podcast. We have worked with many widows during our careers. Although we are not widows, we see the need for solid financial education before and after losing a spouse. We do this by telling stories from widows and our own lives. Welcome to the podcast, He's Gone, But the Money's Not. I'm Nicole, and today we have a special guest, Audrey, with us. Audrey, tell us about yourself. Thanks, Nicole, for inviting me. I'm excited to be on this podcast today. Um, I was thinking, do I start with the widowhood journey? And there's always a little bit before that, right, to kind of talk about the path we were on. I got married super young at 19, I know that doesn't work for everyone. It certainly worked for us, though. Um, really loving our young married life. You know, going to school, trying to start a family, and, and do all of those things. Um, so I would say, you know, in uh, what happened is in my thirty or in uh, let's see what was I trying to say? It was when I was twenty nine, actually. Um, about then, maybe 28, that my husband was diagnosed with a primary form of liver cancer. So he was pretty young. I want to say he was 31 at the time. And not a time in life that you're expecting to have an illness like that come along. I had still always thought of cancer as an older person's disease. And so, you know, we started to learn more about this cancer. And the more we learned about it, the more we realized there's just, there's not a good survival rate. People actually just don't survive with the type of cancer he had. And um, because it's a juvenile cancer and it's usually kids who get it. And um, he was one of the older patients who received the diagnosis. Um, so not a lot of treatment, not a lot of research that was done in that area. So it was really, you know, a lot of discussion about how to prolong his life Um. And starting that journey at such a young age, we had just, you know, finished graduating college, getting ourselves established in our careers, and so really not settled into long-term thinking. And that was a shock for us. So I would say my biggest part about widowhood is that it caught me off guard. You know, you just get married and you think you're going to live your life together and it's going to be wonderful with your white picket fence your two and a half children or whatever. So um that was the biggest shock. And when it happens, and for, for me, when my husband got sick, and then, you know, cancer surgeries, and then radiation, and then chemo, there isn't time to then prepare in that moment, you just hope you're prepared. And of course, we weren't, we were fortunate that he worked for a lab associated with the hospital here, um, locally to us. And that was really nice, because it means he had great Benefits, health insurance benefits. So he was able to get top notch support. And, you know, the doctors were very interested because they've never seen this type of cancer before. So just a lot of investment and support, um, which was nice, but just no financial planning beyond, yeah, we had 401ks just started, but we were super young, no long term savings, um, and just not a lot of thought down the road. So My husband had the illness for about three years, and during that time, we were able to have kids, um, and we ended up with twins, a boy and a girl. And we happened to have those kids right after he finished radiation treatment. So he was incredibly ill at the time. So just in the middle of all that, I'm sure so many people can relate, even when you have your own kids, it's just a hectic time of life. Um, but I just felt like we had a lot on our plate and still, I wasn't, I never looked too far down the road because we were always to the next doctor appointment, to the next scan, to, you know, the next mile marker we were looking for. Um, and he actually was able to make it through the first year and a half of our kids' lives. And then he passed away. So he passed away. I was 31. I had 18 month old twins. Um, we had a mortgage, two cars, student loan debt, and I hadn't even made $10,000 that year because while I was still able to maintain my job, I wasn't able to work very many hours because I would go to work and then my husband would call me and say, I just can't take care of the kids. I need you to come home. So I hadn't even made $10,000. And I remember the first realization that hit me after um, – he passed away I was trying to I needed to refinance our house because I couldn't even afford the mortgage payments you know I was trying to figure out how am I gonna work how am I going to, to get my kids taken care of put them in daycare get all those things figured out and um, and I didn't I couldn't qualify for the refinance because I hadn't even made ten thousand dollars in a year and um, so it was a pretty creative journey I found a mortgage broker who actually knew a family member. So you get somebody who will fight for you a little bit more in that cause. And um, he, him and my family member, we all kind of just met together. And he's like, you know, if you can guarantee you can make so much money and get a letter from your employer, if you will give us more money to pay off all your debts so we know that you'll only have your mortgage payment afterwards. So there were all these conditions I had to meet and then I could refinance the house using life insurance money, of course, to pay it down. So it was a more affordable payment. Um, but even with that, initially, I didn't even qualify. And it, our life insurance policy, just like companies put this out there all the time. Oh, we have great coverage. We'll give you like $150,000. Whose mortgage does that pay off? Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, it's a small mortgage if you have it. It's a small amount. And even though this was several years ago, you know, it would not have paid off our mortgage either. So um, I always tell people don't just get what they offer at work. Always go independent and get your own life insurance policy because you, you will need it for sure. You don't know what you're be facing. So anyways, i didn't have a full um, life insurance policy that would pay off my mortgage so i needed to pay it down again qualify for this loan so i had to give them all the money from i had to give them the life insurance policy that would pay off my student loans of course my husband's student loans were forgiven we had a car payment and then can we go back uh how (laughs) come were they forgiven his loans Oh yeah. So when, if you pass away before your student loan is paid off, they are automatically forgiven. So I just had to send in his death certificate and then we didn't have to pay any more on his student loans. So, and we didn't have a lot of student loan debt. I'm not for both of us. It was under $30,000, which I feel like for two people to get a bachelor's degree living on our own, we weren't living at home or anything that wasn't too bad, but his were definitely higher than mine. So I only had my like I only had ten thousand dollars, so that was nicer as well for me. And, but yeah, that's how I was able to keep my mortgage, and I think that was the first like, oh my gosh, so much is going to change now that I don't have this person that was making the mo- you know the main money maker, even though I was still working, but I was also being a caregiver. So yeah, so that's just a snippet into how how the journey began and like my first aha moment finances are going to be interesting from now on. Yeah. Who, how do you get someone to co-sign on a 30 year mortgage? <laughs> yeah. How it's difficult. I'm going you with the car, right? <laughs> yeah. So during his three year period of illness, was he working? He was able to work. His work was really actually pretty supportive. Um, and then like right at the end, so he had great sick leave, great medical care. Um, another thing that's interesting is that even though he was associated with the hospital, they have a million-dollar mat- lifetime max on your health insurance. His one hospital episode, which was a major surgery plus a month's stay, but three weeks of that was in the SICU at a specialty cancer center, and he was over $500,000 from the very first major event of his care. So we were just getting started in that journey. And I was like, what did you do if you hit the million dollar max? Like, that was such a shock to me. So just being educated about that. I just learned a lot about health insurance um, through that. Um But yeah, he was able to work. And at the end, one thing I thought that was really nice that his company did, they allowed people to donate sick leave. So when he needed extra time off, a bunch of team members would go and donate sick leave so he could get paid leave for any hospitalizations or more treatments that he needed. And he had just gotten a big balloon donation right before he passed away. And his work chose to pay that out to me rather than give the time back to all the employees. They wanted that to be their gift. And that helped me have a financial cushion for the first couple of months so I could still make a mortgage payment. Because SSI doesn't come right away. you got to file all your paperwork. Those hospital bills, I mean, everything comes. You have to pay up front for a funeral. You, those services, you go in and you have to write a check or put it on a credit card in your very first meeting with a funeral home. So um, that was also crazy to me. And of course, we had no funeral plans, but all of that had to be figured out right away. And funerals happen within a, three days, usually, maybe a week, but still not a year later. You know, So it was just a lot of finances coming through all at once. And again, you know, you're never, even if you know somebody's sick, like we knew, I mean, my husband was sick, he had a terminal disease, we knew there was no, you know, cure or anything like that. It was still a shock when it happened. And he was home on hospice and it was still like, oh, it's right now. This is, this is the moment. It still comes as a, definitely as a shock. You're never prepared. (laughs) Did he ever hit that million dollar max on his health insurance? No, I think he was three quarters. He was about 750
1: because oh, his medication,
0: medication was, I'm trying to remember, I think it was maybe 8,000 a month. It was a lot because um, it was a trial. You try to get in on the trials and see where your insurance would cover, but it was between his doctor visits and his treatments and procedures some months, the medical bills were, you know, five to $10,000. Not that we could pay that, but that's what it was from the insurance. And then we paid a portion of that. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's good that it didn't ever go over. Do you know what you would have done? Did you ever talk to anybody if you went over? I did ask his benefits staff, like, Hey, you know, what are we looking at here? And they just said, don't worry about that. It's so rare if people go over and it's, it's more like um, if somebody's staying on a ventilator, but their prognosis isn't very good or, or things like that where there has to be some type of time to let go, pass on. But I think in other cases they need to be decided, you know, individually. So mm-hmm. it was just a shock that they put a, I didn't know they put a limit on it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I didn't either. Uh, Did he have disability insurance through his work? I believe he did because that's what he would go on for the surgery. So he would get like a short-term disability um, payout while he was recovering from procedures. I think we only use that. I think it was only twice that we had to use that because if you can go to work intermittently throughout like treatments or anything like that, then you don't qualify for short-term or even long-term disability. So it's like you have to be all the way off or part on. So it was just more of a juggle of his PTO um, and hopefully donations from other team members. Yeah. Yeah. And he was quite ill during those three years, right? Yes. So after his surgery, he really declined and he would, so every surgery or procedure that they would do or treatment med, he would, you know, he'd go through it and then he'd decline in health and he'd come back up a little bit, but never to where he was before. So we didn't ever have that rebound back up. His surgery, um, the first major surgery he had, he was in a, Pharmaceutical induced coma for two and a half weeks, and he lost. Um, what did we say? I think he lost forty pounds. Wow. In that time, and so he was kind of a husky, muscular guy, and then he just never came back to that. Because then, after he woke up and could eat, he just he couldn't stomach a lot because his surgery involved his GI tract and his stomach, and those, um, it just made it hard for him to absorb the nutrients and handle a lot of food. Yeah, it's, that's tough. So during this period of time, did you ever talk much about finances or what you would do after he was gone? Yeah. So those conversations are pretty hard, you know, cause it, it cycles around a lot. I did, when he got put on hospice, we did start to have some conversations cause I just said, You know, I don't want to make it about all these conversations. I want to think about a lot of good things, but I really needed his input and what he thought, you know, what do I do with the life insurance money? Do you invest it? Do you pay off the debt? And so we were able to have some discussions, but the things we couldn't talk about were because he would be so tired or sometimes he'd be too much on his pain meds to really have coherent conversations is to teach me about all of our retirement accounts. So I did our day-to-day finances. That was no big deal. Paid the bills. I knew where all that money went. I had no idea about anything retirement. I knew I should have a 401k for work, which I did. And that was the end of my responsibility. So (laughs) I didn't understand what he had for his retirement. I didn't know what a Roth you still know I ask a million questions. Remind me what Roth IRA means. It's just a world I don't want to sit in and, you know, I don't sit in every day. Um, And so I, I, we just had no conversations about the bigger picture. So I felt like day to day I would be fine, but also just not then having another adult as invested in your own life to have those conversations with. Because I could talk to, Lots of family members. I actually had a family member who worked at Rock House Financial, and he's the one who hooked me up to go there for the, um, for investment advice. But he didn't even want to tell me everything just because they feel too much responsibility if it goes the wrong way. So people were hesitant to make, you know, to really support in that way. And that, that was probably, That was the hardest thing for me. And because all of that was happening right after he passed away, you know, his retirement accounts could be, they, I needed to do something with those. The, um, life insurance policy money was coming because I needed it for the house, but I also needed to figure longer term things out. Um, and I just remember going to sit in my first meeting, um, at rock house and i just felt like i can't absorb any of this information please take this money do something good with it because i don't know and i don't i feel like i have to decide and i don't have enough time to be educated enough to make a good decision so feeling like i had a trusted resource and mainly it was because my family member had worked there and if you work somewhere and you say hey this is a good place i felt comfortable with that you know um, yeah, word of so, mouth is good, right? You have a, somebody yeah, can, yeah, give referral. <laughs> so that was really helpful for me. And um, in that time, I just felt like, and I, I hear this a lot from other widows, we call it the widow fog. And for me, it lasted a long, long time. And I feel like that's because, like, the next day I was just going. I had twins who needed me every day. There was like my grieving just took place over such a long period of time before I could really wrap my head around things. I needed to get back to work so I could provide. Um, So I feel like I just didn't have a lot of, I had to process what was essential and I didn't have the energy or the brain space to process anything extra like investments. So What were some of your conversations like with your financial advisor at first? Do you remember all or like, did you tell them anything like this is what I'd like you to do with the money, at least a little guidance? What I love that I still remember to this day, which is probably the only thing I remember from that meeting (laughs) was that Bob stood up there and he said, here's what everyone tells you to save. And he's like, you should be saving this percentage for this, this percentage for this, And he's like, and you should live off of this much. And he just laid it all out. He's like, if you do what everybody says, you won't have any money to live off of. So you have to make decisions about what is right for you. And I really liked that because I'm a person that you hear, oh, I should be doing that. And because I was feeling very vulnerable, I just wanted to protect myself at that time. I was scared because the thought of losing my house that had never even occurred to me that I may not have a place to live. I did not, all my parents lived in apartments. I didn't have anywhere to like go live until I figured stuff out. So I was just feeling super vulnerable. And when he said that, I just felt like, oh good, there is room. I can make an adjustment and we'll be okay. And I really felt like, I was going to be heard, like, we'll listen to what you need to do and what's important to you. And in that very first meeting, it was, let's just put Chad's retirement because I needed to roll it out of the company and put it into different accounts, my own private retirement accounts. And Bob saw that and he just did what I needed to do without a lot of pressure to just, I didn't have to have my entire retirement figured out. We would meet again in a year and every year i would say okay tell me what these accounts mean again he just a little bit of education and every year i could retain a little bit more and it became a little bit more of a priority for me um, as other things settled down in my life so yeah okay. I def- that was my favorite thing from that meeting is that it has to be custom designed to what you need you can't just check box it to what the industry says that won't work Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You had little kids to take care of. So. Yeah. Different priorities. And I was, for me, I was able to stay working part time. So getting my house, being able to use the um, life insurance policy to pay down my house allowed me to work part time. So my priority was staying at home with my kids as much as I could, but still having connection with the job because that was how I kept the house. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So talk, talk to me about social security. You applied for that right away then. I did. And I learned a couple of important things I just, again, had no idea about. So what we've received now are survivor benefits and you can receive them per kid. I can also receive them as a spouse, but then there's a limit per household of what you can get from SSI and also what I can then make on income. And because of that limit that was implied, I knew we would be better off financially if I worked part-time. I didn't claim SSI for myself, but I claimed it for my children. So that, that was just took some math. I think it's pretty, It was pretty easy to see all that laid out, like the government's pretty clear, like we'll give you this much money and here's your cap and, you know, the limits are there. Um, But I was glad I chose to work uh, because that proved to be a long-term benefit for both me and my kids. So I felt like it was good for them to go to daycare because that actually made going to school later easier. That was good for me as a single parent to get out of the house and go to work. Mm-hmm. I used to tell my coworkers, I come to work so I don't get yelled at because they were 18 months. They didn't communicate. They just cried and yelled and laughed and it was loud and fun <laughs> and crazy. But sometimes I just needed to go somewhere, do my thing <laughs> and not have <laughs> somebody pulling at my leg or screaming or <laughs> yeah. falling down stairs or whatever. Just some calm. Um, so that long term was a really good benefit for myself. Um, another thing I learned from SSI is I, for some reason, thought I should file my taxes. Not having any financial experience, I was like, yeah, I can do this. This is not hard because I did it like when I was younger and single and you don't make a lot of money and you fill out one form and it's super easy. So I thought I can figure this out. So I did my taxes for the first couple of years after my husband passed away I did not understand how to claim those ssi benefits and what to do with them so i claimed them under myself on my taxes your and kids I, benefits right you're pl- yeah. putting your kids on your own taxes as income so i was like yeah this is money that i'm using for my family like just wanting to be really honest <laughs> and then. Yeah. I saw on a widow's group, a widow widower's group I was on on Facebook, somebody asked that question and a tax accountant got on and said, no, you don't claim that. That's for your kids. That's their income. They, It's under their social security number, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, awesome. So I went to a tax accountant. I showed him all my last taxes for the past three years. And he's like, oh, yeah, you should have gotten huge refunds. And so... I was able, I was just within the window on the first one. I had done it for three years (laughs) incorrectly. And I was within the window on the first one to go get it amended before that that year's tax date. And he was like, yes, we'll just fix them all. You'll get all these amended. Let's prioritize. You know, he was great. And I think he was great to sit down with me and spend the time, educate me first of all. Um, And then also, strategize how we go about the amendments to make sure I hit all my deadlines and got the maximum returns. So what I really learned that I think is probably common amongst women is we don't wanna pay for the work. We're trying, especially if like in this situation we feel vulnerable, we feel like I don't have the money to do that. There are some things it's worth the money to pay for. And I advocate that for taxes. And for financial advice, because in the end, you spend the money, but the benefit is so great down the road to make sure and to educate you and to help you grow your money, invest it correctly, build your lifestyle, prioritize things financially. All of that has come for me through getting good tax advice and having a great financial advisor. Oh, good. Good. Glad to hear that. That yeah. they made a difference for you. you. Found somebody good too. Working. Tell us about how it was working and how your career has been going. Like I said, when the when my husband passed away, I was only working part time. I wanted to stay working part time, and um, so I work in a laboratory. And um, it's not common for us to have part time positions, but because of all my longevity at the company and just them knowing me personally and that I was a good worker, I was able to stay on part-time even after my husband passed away. And I remember there's a couple of things about working part-time that are really hard and maybe other people find this in their companies. There were years I did not get an annual increase because I was part-time. So when it's not a common thing in your company, it's kind of like well we're already doing you a service because you have a job so i did not climb up the ladder financially or progress in my career as much because i made that choice and one thing that was important for me to say to my kids and to myself is i am not a victim of this system i am choosing this and um, and i'm choosing it because i love my job they're flexible with my kids. And we make enough, I made enough money with part-time and getting SSI that we did fine. We did fine. And I was able to pay for daycare and, and our needs. So it was okay. Um, but there came a point that I had this opportunity to, my kids were starting to go, they were in elementary school and they were, I think they were starting fourth or, it must have been fourth grade grade or 5th grade. Anyway, so they were older and they were walking to walking home from school. I would drive them to school, they would walk home, be at home for a couple hours and then I would, you know, meet them on my days that I worked um in on site. And then there was an opportunity to do something a little more challenging at work. And I really hesitated because in my mind, I was going to do that when my kids were in 6th grade, like everything was going to line up. But I felt I was told, "Hey, that's great. You know, no big deal if I didn't take it, but it was the right time and the job was available. And I just said, you know, I'm just going to do it because I think things will work out at home and it will be okay. So I moved to going full time. What I realized with that is that I feel like opportunities always came a little before I felt like I was ready. I wanted things to be lined up a little bit better at home. Um, and I'm really glad I didn't wait for that, and that I just jumped on the opportunities and knew we would be able to kind of figure things out on the back end. And that is what happened. My kids were flexible and pliable. It was okay that I was going in every day. They did like it better when they knew that I was home. I don't know mm-hmm. why they're like, we just like it better when we know you're home. I'm like, but you're at school all day. Like, what do you? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> that work well? I couldn't figure it out, but, um, One thing I should say that I I was able to do as I started to go to school, I would just go to work every day while they were at school and then I was able to be home. So my work was flexible in that schedule as my kids changed. I was able to change things. But I also looked for opportunities to kind of sell that to my boss. Like, hey, I think we could if I I was I was testing at the time, so I was doing benchtop work and I said, Oh, I think I could do my schedule like this for testing, I could get this much more done. So I always did it like a business pitch instead of going in and saying, Hey, I need you to do me a favor because of what's happening in my personal life. I think we do that a lot as women. I think men do it too. I've had this now that I supervise a lot of people. And I think it's really important to always present Yourself as an advantage to the company, like they need you as much as you need them. And so, whenever I needed something to change, I kind—I did try to pitch it like, "How's this going to benefit the company, though?" And here's instead of just saying, "This is what I need," please figure it out. You know, yeah, that, that's a great idea. Yeah. More of a more of a sales pitch. So, anyways, I was able to move from the lab to a consulting um, position, which put me into a place to be full-time, to manage a team, and to also travel. And the travel was really, really hard. It wasn't as hard to go from part-time to full-time because I was going in every day anyways, so just working a couple hours. And I feel like part-time, I never worked part-time. I still put in all those hours. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it wasn't too, too different in that way. Um, but yeah, the travel was tricky because I didn't have family close by to just take the kids to. And I really felt like my kids would do better if they stayed at their own house, because it's less unfamiliar. You know, it's bad enough if mom's gone, then if they have to go somewhere else too. So again, they're about fourth or fifth grade and the travel kind of it really kicked in pretty intense. So I was told it would be a few days a week, a month. And it ended up being almost at least three weeks out of every month I was gone somewhere, maybe not for the whole week, but I was traveling during that week. So I got on care.com and I would find nannies. I, um, and that was a struggle for my kids. They tell me now how much they didn't like it. Um, but I still think in the end, it was the right thing to do. It's not there. It wasn't their favorite thing. I, I actually had a girlfriend of my nephew who, you know, nannied for the kids for a while, several months. Um, and I came to find out I would have my sister come. I mean, I would try all these different things. And I came to find out that it didn't matter because none of them were me. I could have had freaking Mary Poppins and they would not have <laughs> liked it wasn't me. And I was like, I, Mary Poppins is better than me. Some of these, my sister better than me. Why don't you like these people? And it was just because it was different. Um, so that was something really hard for me to deal with as a single parent. Um, and even now to this day, it's still a challenge. I've had to put some travel restrictions. I just had to tell my boss, look, for the sake of my family, I, I really can't travel. It has to be incredibly minimal and just very specific and no international trips. Cause when you're international, it's like 10 days cause you're doing, they want you to go out and visit a ton of companies and do seminars. And it ends up being a lot of travel. Um And so I I'm glad I could say that, but I also feel like we need to say that more when it doesn't work for our families, you know, and, ask our employers to be thoughtful of those situations, because at work, I'm still a mom. When I stop working, I'm not an employee right then, right? But I never take off the mom mantle. Um, and I'm fine with that. To me, that's that's my priority. Um, but anyways, the travel became really, really intense and was the hardest part. I think one year I hit gold mile status in less than five months. Wow I was traveling so, so much. Um, and that at the end of twenty nineteen, I just had felt like it had been too hard of a year for travel. I actually had lost my mom and then my mother in law, six months apart in that year. And I went to tell my boss before Christmas, like twenty twenty is the year of no travel for me. It just can't happen. And I know what you're all thinking. So then January. <laughs> And I come back from Christmas and all these trips start lining up. And I was like, okay, I need to go to China. We have these international meetings. I'm going to go to this meeting. So it's the less travel. Maybe I'll only go once a month. And then the pandemic hit. And all I can say is that when I asked for something, (laughs) the universe (laughs) happens. I started shut down the world. I didn't want anyone to get sick. But that was huge for my family in the fact that we could, I just didn't travel for a year. Um, and so it really showed me, okay, is that what's really hard on my family? And absolutely a hundred percent, it was so difficult. And I was actually able to show my boss after 2020 and 2021 and 22 like our business does great, even when we don't travel. And that was important for him to see so that I have, again, a business case for my financial need as well. Um, always keeping that in mind. And I just, I think one thing, if I could just tell myself back, you know, when I first lost my husband is to, don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. Um, and if you do that in a way where you show benefits to those around you, then it also works. Everyone can get on board. And I, I think that's an important thing. And especially when you say the term widow, it automatically feels vulnerable. And I that's a normal state, I think, for a lot of us to sit in for a long time. I think as females, we automatically feel vulnerable. You add these other statuses on top of that, and it complicates it. Um but I would just say, I'm a fan of Brene Brown. She talks about strength and vulnerability, as long as it's a safe situation, of course. Um, but there's moments where that vulnerability will just come back to you tenfold if you're thoughtful about it. So telling my boss, I can't travel because here's what's happening at home. There's all these issues with my kids and I need to be aware of that and protect them. But here's what we can do from a business side. And now when I hire people, first thing I ask is, do you like to travel? Do you love to present? Do you know, I just hire people that can do that, that want to and it fits their lifestyle. And then then it's then it's all covered. You know, it's okay that I I don't want to go or can't go right now. Yeah, great. Yeah, it sounds like you've done a great job of advocating for yourself and growing your career, which is probably really difficult as a single mom too, right? To pursue those opportunities that take you away from your family? Yeah, there are two things that really helped me do that. So I had coaching come to me twice um, during this journey. My first time was I um, got a life coach. And this was offered to me by a friend. And I didn't know how to feel about it at first. I didn't know what life coaching was. Um, And I would say this was probably eight years into being a widow, I had gone to therapy a couple times, I find that to be helpful. So I could talk through things. Um, But there's a point for me where I need a connection between my brain and my heart. So talking doesn't always do that for me. So I did this session of life coaching. And it was intense. It was an 18 month process and weekly meetings and homework in between, a lot of, you know, gaining some emotional intelligence about myself, becoming self-aware, helping me to grieve, but do something with my grieving process. One thing I didn't understand that happens or can happen with the loss of a loved one is we kind of step back in our, where we may have come emotionally. So if there's things for me there were things from my childhood and younger that I felt I had overcome but losing my husband pushed me back into all of that like I had never dealt with it before and that was such a shock to me uh, and then to have that on top of my grief um so this 18 month process included you know doing some homework some self-evaluation understanding my emotions the grieving process and how to accept the good and the ugly parts Um, because that we always say, you know, we think of the yin, yin yang symbol where there's good and bad mixed together. And I thought, Oh yeah, that's great. I can accept that on a picture, but I was struggling to accept that with myself. And that was a really powerful um, process for me. And it took me a while to commit because I found myself tired from, you know, I felt like I just lived in the kitchen getting out snacks, cooking meals, cleaning off kids, you know, then changing diapers, potty training, whatever. And then at work, you know, just another grind you go through. Um, It took me a while to commit and to choose to invest in myself. Um, But at the end of that, I just found that I was able to appreciate myself in a new way, which was powerful because I found that I had just kind of gone under my husband's approval. We had a great marriage. He really loved me in an unconditional way I had never experienced in my life, and it was wonderful. I felt so protected. And when he was gone and just really feeling naked, I just thought, who in the world? There's no one waking up and thinking about me and loving me the way he did every day. That's a tangible loss. Um, And I thought, for me, I didn't want to expect to feel get that from someone else again. I wanted to have that self-love. So that was a really important process that I went through just for myself. And then for my career, um, I actually engaged with a professional coach. And this was recommended to me by one of our leaders at my work, who told me that he had done that. And that really helped him to... Be a better leader at work a better father a better spouse and i thought wow that's amazing i want to take that opportunity so i actually put together a business plan for my company to pay for the professional coach because it was expensive it was like 500 a session and you meet once a week so wow yes it's expensive it was or once a month it was once a month but still that was a lot of money so yeah. um i think we met for like a year so it was And I put together a business case where I showed the advantage from a business perspective, again, with my company, of how that would benefit them in their leadership. Because I work for a science organization, sometimes finding leaders with well developed emotional intelligence is difficult because that's not our formal training typically. And so I put together a business case and it was approved so that I could go through this, and have my company invest in me as a leader. And that was helpful and helped me. I did get a promotion, but not because I finished the training. It's because I could put that training into effect. Um, I built a very successful team on a foundation that my boss had started and was able to then, due to this professional coaching plus a leadership course I took, was able to start speaking you know, to the business terms and things. I felt like, gosh, I'll have to go back to school. Everyone else doing this has an MBA. I even considered going to mas- to a master's program and did a couple of semesters, but just couldn't make that balance and priority for home and work for me. Um, but again, when these opportunities came, I was, you know, it always comes again when you're not quite ready. So the leadership course opportunity came which is where I got connected with this professional coach that I ended up working with for a year. Um, But just having those opportunities to then take the information, you know, it's just one thing to talk about it, sit in a classroom, you know, do the homework. And another thing to go to work or go to your home and say, ah, but I can implement this. And here's how I can be a better leader for my team at work or how I can, support my kids better or run my house more efficiently so that there's a little more peace and calm and growth more than survival. I I think that's, you know, we want that for ourselves um, anyways in the world, whether we're with a partner or not. We want to have more than survival. We want to go on vacations. We want to save for our kids' college. We want to have a good retirement and be able to look down the road. And I that all these things have led together, especially, I would say the life coach kicked me off to that, that I have bigger plans. I can do more than just be, than see myself as this small little single mom who's going to take care of her twins and be this pitiful story her whole life. That's how it seemed to me. And that helped me lift this coat and see down the road and say, gosh, I really want to take my kids on a trip. I want to go to Disneyland. I want to, you know, I've been able to do so many of those things now, just being able to shed that and see myself bigger than life circumstances. Would you say it's kind of like you kind of got out of survivor mode and, yeah. and been moved on to past that? Would that be a good way to define it? Yeah, Absolutely. So from survival to prosperity. Great. Is there anything, have your finances changed or how you look at your finances changed as you've had this change in mindset? Yes. One thing in particular, I realized that I would tell my kids, oh yeah, we don't have money for that. And that's how I would communicate our finances to my kids. And then my son one day said, He came to me and he had this idea of how to make money so he could buy a video gaming system. And I said, do you think we don't have that because we're poor? And he said, well, yeah. And I was like, Oh, I mean, we weren't living in the lap of luxury. Right. But we definitely were not poverty at all. We had plenty of food. We could go on a trip a year. Like we were, I was like, we are doing great. But in his mind, we were poor. And I thought, okay, I need to change the way I talk to my kids about money. So I started to say, I don't want to spend our money on that. I would rather save it so we can go to Disneyland this year or so we could go see grandma or you know, something else. And so I was helping them to see that I was making choices about my money, again, that I wasn't victim to it, And that helped me also feel differently about my financial circumstances. Um, It's still like what Bob told me the very first day. If you save your money where everyone says you should, you will not be happy. You know, you'll always save beyond what you make. So even to this day now, I say, okay, what's the priority? Nicole, when you and I meet, it's always like, okay, what's the priority? We're talking about saving for my kids' college. Also, health concerns are large for me because of our family situation. So I make sure my health care is really well covered. And then also my long-term retirement. So I think about it now more as a choice. My financial situation has absolutely changed. I went from part-time, you know, I when I moved to full-time, they couldn't believe how little I made and that I was living off of it. (laughs) I said, well, yeah, I mean, I can live off of whatever you give me. I'll make it work. But now, um, I mean, my finances have about tripled in, in these last... It's been 15 years, which doesn't seem like a lot of growth for the amount of time, but it is for me. It's it's great. And we are able now to... I, I do have a separate health savings account outside of my HSA. I'm able to put money towards college. I actually... My goal one of my goals, I told you, Nicole, in our last meeting is that I want to be able to save the SSI checks and not live off of those and put those into college savings. So what I do now is I still need that because teenagers are more expensive than babies. So I have, (laughs) so I live off a, we use one paycheck a month from SSI to help me with their expenses. And then I save the second paycheck towards college, um, So that that was a big change. And I've always other things I've done is every time I got a raise, I took half of that raise and put it more into my 401k so I could max that out quicker. And then I would live off the rest. So every time, except for this last time, I was not good, but I'm getting there. Uh, Most of the time, I would go and take a portion of my raise and always up a savings somewhere, so that I wasn't just increasing our cost of living. Now, of course, There were times that I needed that money because we needed to step up to the next level for my kids or or whatever. Um, But from a financial standpoint, that's been awesome to be able to do that. And another thing, I made a list, not a bucket list, but like a dream list of like time and money weren't an issue. What would I do? And I had things listed that I didn't even know. This was an exercise in my leadership class. I did one of my favorite ones. We had two minutes and we had post-it notes and you just had to write as fast as you could everything you wanted to do. Most of mine were travel. I love to explore. I love to be outside. I love to have these experiences. But another one that was huge for me is to have a new home. I didn't even know I wanted a new home because we were in the house we're My babies came home, my husband passed away, our life was in this house. And, but I've been burdened by all the repairs that the home needed, it was getting older, it needed new roof again, we'd already put one on, just all these cycle of repairs. And I knew if I invested that money, the house would still not be what we wanted. And I realized we do need a new home. And that was a scary venture for me to buy a house by myself, and to leave this comfort nest. It was just really comfortable there. But I did it. I decided in the middle of this leadership course, I wanted a new home. I knew that's what we wanted. I needed, my kids needed, we were ready for it. So I like, I remember one weekend talking with some really good friends and they're like, yeah, it sounds like you need a new home. I started packing boxes the next day. I just started taking things off the wall. I was like, yep, this is what we're going to do. I have no idea where we're going to go, you know, and just follow that prompting. It came again before I was fully ready, but I just started going, going down that road. And now we have a new home. I absolutely love it. My mortgage payments went up like 200 bucks. The number one selling item is they take care of my grass front and backyard. I don't have to mow it. I don't have to fix another sprinkler. <laughs> I have just done that so many years on my own. It's been the best thing. And we're across the street from the school for my kids. It's a just everything about it. It was hard, but it has been wonderful. And those, I'm so glad I took that opportunity to do those exercises and to look up. To just think down the road what I wanted and to dream bigger and realize it's possible. I didn't need a million dollars. I bought homes when everyone said, don't do it. I did this in 2021. When everyone (laughs) said, this is the worst time to buy and sell a house. It was great. It worked out just fine. Yeah, there was stress, but it was the right thing to do. And we're reaping the benefits of it now. And I'm taking my kids on trips. We just went, got back from Hawaii. That was one we planned for a year for their golden birthday. Um, Things I never dreamt of as a kid. And especially after I lost my husband, I did not think that would be possible. I thought I would just be scraping by, you know, not living the bigger dreams because I had lost this such important part of who I i lost half of myself. And I am so glad that I've taken the time to dream bigger, do bigger things and not minimize myself because of that loss. And, and it's what my husband would want me to do. I have no doubt about that. You know, he doesn't. Our loved ones don't want us to be sad forever. You know, <laughs> we'll miss them forever. I miss him every day. And it's been 14 years. But you know, I can still be happy here and be happy with my kids and have success and ha- build great support. I think as widows, we need to do that. And it doesn't always have to be other widows. Just And don't be afraid to reach out for, again, financial support, the career support, the tax support. And if you have to pay for it, I don't know, it's been worth it every time for me and come back threefold that's great yeah and you know as we've worked together it's been awesome to see how much you've grown and what you've been able to do with your life and how, how yeah, much you care about your kids so <laughs> you guys have watched me grow up there and figure out like <laughs> i yeah,
1: could I always
0: balance my checking account but you know it was again those big picture things and yeah, yeah. it's you been come a long way yeah it's I've a long way. <laughs> Is there anything else that you would share with our audience that you think is important about your journey? You know, somebody said something to me the other day, life continues to happen. You know, I, even though all these really great things are happening that I, I love my new home and I love that I get to take my kids on trips. I still have a lot of stuff happen in life. So i I've ended up losing all of my parents now, my in-laws and my own parents. Um, And like I said, in 2019, it was both of my mothers. My father-in-law followed the year after. My father's been passed away for a long time. My grandparents who raised me passed away. I mean, it's been a lot of loss. Um, There's also been, you know, car accidents and health issues and just life in general. Things are hard at work sometimes. Even though I love my job, it can bring me to tears, you know, um, so I don't want to give some illusion that it's all, you know, rainbows and kitties over here. But one thing that has made the difference for me, and somebody pointed this out to me is that I do ask for help. I'm not great at it. I won't say that. And I, people who know me will be like, Yeah, right. But I, <laughs> I do really, I like to do as much as I can on my own, because that makes me feel powerful. But we're really as humans, this is just the science part coming out of me, we're just our communities are not structured to do things independent, as much as we've tried to create that now, it's not a benefit to ourselves or our communities. So I would just advocate to build your resources. And everyone I've ever asked for help has said, gosh, I would love to, I would love to do these things with you. or I would love to help you in that way. Um, and then, of course, I love to reciprocate that for other people, I would just say, don't be afraid to ask for help and build that community for yourself, because, and your kids will benefit, they will, I just think kids need more than their parents all the time. So you need to sur- regardless if your spouse was here or not, you know, you need that community. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask for that support. That's great. Um, well, we really appreciate you sharing today, um, about your journey. Um, our last question is, was there anything that you and Chad did together that he did that you would like to thank him for that really made a difference? Oh, man, you put the like. It's going to make me cry right at the end of the show. There you go. (laughs) That's hard. Um, the thing that he did the most for me is that he really did love me unconditionally i i had a rough childhood growing up um where i i just didn't have you know consistent parenting um or support in that way so i'd not known that before and i feel like that has actually carried me through where i still carry that love with me through today. And I, I always say this all the time, like people say, you know, time heals all wounds. And I, for me, love makes all the difference. Um, and that's such an important part of my connection with him. So I would say that's our biggest thing. Everything else was just like, he was a huge sports addict. So he would always I mean, there was never an off season because there's always some sports going on, right. And he would watch sports all the time, and I would just sit next to him and ask him, you know, tell me about this. I don't know all the rules or whatever. I didn't grow up with a, with a father figure watching all these sports, so I didn't know that. So I just, and so I used to love and sit next to him and watch sports. He made it fun. And that's one thing we used to do. I don't do it anymore because it's not as fun, and I don't have energy for that. And too many other yeah. things that I do. But that was something fun that we shared. But. For sure, for me, it's the love that he gave that is important. And I try to pass that on to my kids as much as I can, because I think it'll just make all the difference for them, too. We really appreciate Audrey coming on today and doing this interview for us. Audrey is a client of Rock House Financial, and she was not paid for this interview. And anything she says today does not necessarily reflect the experience of other clients. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you want to know more about us and what we do, visit our website, rockhousefinancial.com. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Rockhouse Financial is an SEC registered investment advisor and the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the opinions of Rockhouse Financial or any other sponsors of the podcast. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.